Well, good morning again, church. It is so glad, I'm so glad to have all of you with us. Again, if this is your first time back, you came uh, last Easter for the very first Sunday. We're just glad that you are here with us. Want to welcome again those that are with us online, as well as those, maybe this is your very first time here. Somebody invited you, brought you here today. Uh, we're grateful that you are a part of things this morning as we are kicking off a brand new teaching series this morning called I Do, a series on marriage and relationships. Now, I want to say this before we, we start. Number one is that the focus of this series is going to be marriage. That's going to be the primary focus. Okay, but there are some of you here that you're like, well, I'm single. Well, great. Many of you who are single would like to be married someday. And, and understanding these principles are going to set you up for a healthy relationship in the future. But there are some of you who are like, well, I don't ever plan on getting married. Well, guess what? The principles we're going to talk about today are still applicable across every relationship in your life. And so there is something for every single person in the room this morning. I want to say one last thing uh, here today is this, is that I am not the expert. Okay. Just imagine how intimidating it would be to stand in front of a congregation of people with your spouse sitting on the front row talking about how you should be a husband or a wife. Okay, my wife will be the first one to say, I am a work in progress. Right, Amber? Yes, she does. Okay. So I don't get up here because, like, I got this all figured out and I'm the perfect husband in all the ways. No, we're all on a journey of growing as husbands and wives and in our relationships. You're going to give me some grace here. I'm going to challenge all of us. I'm talking to myself at the same time. We're all going to grow. Say, God, what do you have to say? And we're going to try and grow in those things, okay? Uh, but I think we all get where this title comes from, right? The, the title, I do, it comes from kind of the traditional vows and the classic vows that we have. And I think that phrase, I do, it just sounds romantic kind of has this magical sound to it. But I want you to think about it for a second. Why do we have vows? Because marriage is really hard. It's really challenging. And there are going to be times when you don't want to do it, right? You don't want to have, I don't want to care about them. I don't want to love them. I don't want to care for them. You just do not want to. There are times. And so what do they do? They literally make you stand in front of a crowd of witnesses and make promises that you will never leave this person no matter how bad it gets. Under what other con uh, context do you do something like this? Have you ever made a vow to eat pizza? No, it's just awesome all the time. Okay, I don't got to make a vow. I just do it. It's easy. But when it comes to marriage, we do this. Why? Because marriage is important, yes, and it's spiritual, absolutely, but it isn't always easy. And as Christians, we aren't immune to the challenges of marriage. Just because you love Jesus... <laughs> doesn't mean that you know how to handle every relational pressure that surfaces in marriage. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to dive into this a little bit. And I want to talk to the married couples just for a second. If you are married, I would challenge you to be here every single week for the next few weeks during this series. Why is that? Because every week we're going to look at a different principle, and we're going to have a very specific challenge. And my, I genuinely believe if you would take hold of these things, you would step into these and say, I'm going I'm to begin to do some work. I'm not going to just passively exist in my marriage. I'm actually going to lean in a little bit. I think your marriage could be stronger a few weeks from now than it is today. But it's going to require you. And so I challenge you to be here every single week. And the, uh, this morning, we're going to be looking at one word that I think has the potential to change your marriage and your home. That's what we're going to dig into. If you've got your Bibles, would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 19? Matthew chapter 19. As you're turning in your Bibles there, would you stand with me across the room? 
It's what we do if this is your first time. This is what we do every week when we read God's word. We stand together. It's just a way to say, God, we honor your words far more than what I got to say. Matthew chapter 19, beginning in verse number 4. These are the words of Jesus. Jesus is talking here. He says, verse number 4. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Father, we thank you that this whole marriage thing, this whole relationship thing was your idea, your plan. And so, God, we thank you for that. And we're just asking for your wisdom and your grace to know how to get a little stronger, to grow in that area of our lives, Lord. I pray that both today and this week and in the coming weeks, Father, I pray for the marriages and the relationships in our congregation. God, I pray there would be a greater level of health, of intentionality, of purpose behind them, Lord. And God, I pray that we would be in a better place than we are today. We ask that in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. You can be seated. Well, last Sunday at the end of the message, I shared that, you know, I was kicking off this message. And I would say one word that could transform your marriage. And I had a guy come forward and said, I know what the word is. Sex. <laughs> and I said, that's not the word we're going to talk about. And some of the guys are disappointed right now in the room, but that's not the word we're going to dig in. We're going to get to the word here in a moment, but um, I want to set some context for our message before we do that. Uh, first off is this, is that relationship was God's idea. This whole relationship thing, it's God's idea. In fact, even inside of the Godhead, is there this, there's this divine mystery of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, this thing that we can't fully grasp, but we understand this relational component. And, and when we come to marriage, we see that this was God's idea as well. Marriage was God's idea. And so just understand this. When we approach this over the next several weeks, we're not coming at marriage from a cultural lens and looking what does culture say. No, we allow God to define the terms. We allow God to lead us and to guide us, and we submit to that. As followers of Christ, we have a choice. We, God gives us the ability to go do whatever we want. We can choose whatever we want to, but if we're going to follow Christ, then the challenge is that would we bring our thoughts and our understanding of things under the authority of his, right? We say, you get to decide. We're going to allow you to make those. And so, so one of the first things that we see in the passage, Jesus is quoting from Genesis chapter 1 here. He's affirming what is, is found at the beginning of Genesis, and it says this. Uh, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female. The conversation is about marriage, but he begins in this starting point, this idea of male and female. And I think it's really, really important for us to understand this reality is that um, God is the one who draws the pictures. He's the one who, in, in our culture, likes to tear down anything that has a boundary to it, right? Particularly anything that God has established, they want to tear down. They want to destroy those things. And so when it comes to gender and sexuality in our world, that's being torn down all over the place. And as I said, God gives us the ability to do whatever we want to. This is our choice. But if we're going to follow Christ, then our understanding of gender is not what culture says. It's not what the world says. No, we bring that under the authority of Christ and say, whatever you say, that's what we submit ourselves to. That's the, that's the challenge. And so when we come to follow Christ, we say, even when it comes to, hey, this whole gender, gender idea, this isn't a cultural construct. This is a reality that God has established. And so we choose to come under that. Whether we like it or not, whether we agree with it, we, we come under the authority of Christ. We say, we believe what you say, not what I think. Okay? And so he begins in this point, begins male and female, but then it goes on and says this, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Right? So this whole idea, we're getting a picture of what marriage is right away. 
One man, one woman. That's the definition. That's God's definition of what marriage is. Culture has established all these other ideas, but when it comes to what does God say, God has established that's what marriage looks like. And so we make a decision again. Whatever you think, whatever you feel, whatever you've experienced in your life, we take that as secondary to whatever God has to say. And we bring our understanding under the authority of Christ and say, God, we will submit to whatever you say. That's the definition of what marriage is according to God's standards. And so then we come to this, this principle, and I think there's a principle in here that I want us to understand here. And the principle is that of leave and cleave. Like, What in the world does that mean? Look at the passage with me for a second. It says, it's for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. The King James Version says, will leave his father and mother and will cleave to his wife. Now, what does this mean? What is leave and cleave? This is a topic that I talk about regularly when I do premarital counseling before I marry somebody. I talk about this. Why do I talk about it? Because it's really important. And secondly, I messed this one up. Early in our marriage, I messed this one up. Okay? I got this wrong. And the result was unnecessary pain in our home. And so every chance I get to talk about this one, I will. So what is this principle? To leave and to cleave. I think most of us get the cleaving. Hey, I'm going I'm to get married, and then we, we become one, right? We're going to leave, and we're going we're gonna to get married. Here's a new family. The problem is a lot of us in our marriages, we never truly have left our, our home of our parents. And so you've got husbands who, oh, yeah, I'm married here, but what mom says is still more important. What dad says is still more important. I'm still, I'm still connected over here. And you got daughter over here, like, oh, dad, what dad says is really more important, what mom says. And, and rather than this being the most important relationship, you've got these families over here that are impacting the relationship in an, in an unhealthy way. And some of you, as I'm talking about this right now, you're like, oh, my gosh, that is what has happened for the last 20 to 30 years. <laughs> oh, no, I didn't get this. You're right. I didn't get this either. Could be a good five, eight years of marriage before I understood, oh, no, I've missed this one somewhere. And, and so here's the challenge is, is that God has established this idea. Do we honor our parents? Absolutely. Do we love? Do we care for them? Absolutely. But at the end of the day, this is the, the relationship that's most important, right? This in, is impacted by this. It's not the other way around. Okay, this is the relationship. I tell people in premarital all the time, the one you sleep with is the most important relationship. You should be making decisions around that, okay? And so this is this principle. God's given us this beautiful picture, and it's, and it's a great thing, this, this unity between the home. And so, so this passage gives us a picture of marriage, but before we ever get to marriage, our culture engages in what we call dating, okay? Amber and I say this all the time. I am so glad I'm not in that stage of my life. Can anybody agree? I'm just being honest with you. I'm sorry if you're, I get that. There are times when we're out, out to dinner or something and we see people and we're like, they're totally on a first date over there. I'm so glad I don't have to do that again. Okay, it's challenging, man. It is so challenging and I understand that. One of the challenges, it's, it's difficulty is that you got to find people to date, right? That's a hard thing. I get it. I hear some single people and they're just like, oh, there's just no money. And one of the things that I'll tell single people regularly, I ask the question, do you know anybody that you want to marry? And when I asked that question, most of the time I was like, no, I don't want to marry anybody that I know. So then my follow-up is, well, then you're going to need to meet some new people. Like if you currently don't know anybody you want to marry, you're going to have to meet some new people. I don't know how you're going to do that, but you're going to have to meet some new people. Otherwise, this is never going to happen for you, okay? And that's the challenge. It's hard to even find the right people. But the other thing is, as followers of Christ, it is challenging in the world that we live in to stay pure while trying to date. And I get this. Singles, my word. 
the world that we live in right now when it comes to this of sexuality. I got a friend of mine who's single, still, you know, trying to find the one, that, that experience in life, and dates, and he does online stuff and finds people, all that kind of stuff, and he says, Greg, you would have no idea. I go online, and I meet people, and they, you know, I'm looking for Christian girls that love Jesus, and they say they love Jesus, and I follow Jesus, and on the first date, they want to sleep together. And he's like, you have no idea how challenging this is. And so I want to say for those of you who are single and are pursuing sexual purity in your life, I want to say I'm so proud of you. I'm proud of you, okay? It's not easy. I get it. Everything in culture is saying, oh, it doesn't matter. But when you choose to value God's ways, there is blessing in that, okay? And so I'm so proud of you being willing to do that, okay? But some people are out there, they're just looking to date to date, okay? They're not, they're not even interested in getting married. They're just looking to date. This happened to me when I was younger. And when I, when I tell this story, it's kind of, this is really weird. So when I was a kid, growing up in the church, I was growing up, um, I was kind of the good kid in the church. I was all cute little Greg. He's a sweet little boy. Oh, this is great, whatever. I was growing up, and there was another girl in the church that was kind of like that. This little girl, oh, isn't she cute? She's sweet, whatever. But they began, people started, like, saying things that were, as I look back, like, that's thoroughly inappropriate and weird and a little toxic, whatever. But they would say, oh, wouldn't it be cute if those two got together someday? Oh, wouldn't it be, oh, they'd make the cutest babies. And I'm like, I'm like in the fifth grade. That is weird that they would say that, but that's what happened growing up. I'm just being honest with what happened. Okay, so, so there's this girl. So in my mind for literally years, there was this idea that, well, someday I guess I'm going to be with this girl. That's what's going to happen. So this moment hits when I turned 16. I got my license. Girl's kind of cute. I'm like, okay, cool. Here's the moment. This is, it's going to happen. Here we go. So I ask her out on a date, take her out on a first date. Hey, you're going to be my girlfriend. That's awesome. And for a week, we had this amazing, amazing relationship. And then the next week... The next week, we went to summer camp. Now, when I was a kid going to summer camp, there's two reasons why I went to summer camp. The two Gs, God and girls, okay? <laughs> I went to go hang out. I'm a flirt. I like to flirt around with the girls, whatever. So, so I go. So we show up to camp, and we get off the bus, and I look around, and there's girls, er, hundreds of girls everywhere, and I realize, oh, no, what have I done? One week before camp, I get a girlfriend. What have I done? I can't go flirt with any of the girls. This is horrible. So I did what any reasonable 16-year-old boy does, and I broke up with her that night. <laughs> Hor I know, horrible. I'm a horrible guy. I get it. Like years of preparation for this moment, done in a week. Never dated again. Broke the girl's heart, whatever. But that's how some people are. Like they're not looking to get married. They just want to have some fun, date some people. That's great. But I would say most of you who are single, who are most of us, we, we dated for the purpose of trying to find the one. Dating becomes the process of evaluating marriage candidates, right? It's like the bachelor with no cameras on. Like we're just, okay, who, what do we like? Who do we like? All these kind of things. And in dating, if you don't like something, you move on and you find somebody else, right? I don't like this. I'm going to move on to the next thing. Here's the problem. You are training yourself to be a critic, to, to critique the person that you're with. That's what your mind is, the, the things that they don't have. You are also training yourself to bail when you don't like something. Are there times to end relationships? Of course there are. Absolutely. When you're dating, there are times when you need to get out of that thing, okay? But do you see how this process of dating actually can have a negative effect on our hope for long-term healthy relationships? So what happens, you get married, right? I get married. I had to put all the dating stuff behind. Get married, but because you've trained yourself to critique and to be a critic, it's really hard to turn that off. So we become experts at pointing out the flaws in our spouse. Some of us, honestly, we were our kings and queens of pointing out the flaws in our spouse, the deficiencies, the mistakes, how they are less than what you would want from them. 
And then when we've trained ourselves to bail when it's hard or we don't like something, that becomes our natural reflex. So things get hard, and what do I know? I'm out of here. I'm out of here. I'm done. I walk away. I run. Either I'm just I'm leaving the room, I'm doing something, or I'm just gone. I'm done with this thing. Right? But there is one little word hidden in the traditional vows that I think could actually change your marriage relationships, and it could change every relationship in your life. And so what I want to do is I want to pull up the traditional vows here. Uh, some of you are familiar. You've heard these before, okay? So, you know, you say this, whatever, whatever, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer. This is, I mean, when you're saying this stuff, I say this every time I do a marriage ceremony, they have no idea what they're saying when they're saying this. Right? Like, no idea. This is hard stuff. You had no idea. And all the married people said, amen. Exactly. Like, we had no idea what I was committing and signing up for. Okay? For poor, in sickness, as, as one who has been sick at times, and my wife has had to walk through that, that's a big deal. Okay? In sickness and in health, to love and to, one word, cherish. Cherish. One word that I think could change your relationship, cherish, to love and to cherish. See, most of us would say, I love my spouse, right? If I said, do you love your spouse? Yep, I love my spouse. Everybody loves me. Of course I love my spouse. I ask the question, do you cherish your spouse? That's a little bit of a different question. Like, I I think I do. (laughs) I think I do. And then let me ask it even a different way. Would your spouse say that you cherish them? (laughs) Like, that starts, like, that gets to be an uncomfortable question to ask. Like, would my spouse say that I, like, yeah, they, yeah, they know I love them. But would my spouse say that I cherish them? Now, what does it mean to cherish something? I, I kind of pulled up some different definitions of what it means to cherish. It means to protect and care for someone something. To care for tenderly, to nurture, to hold dearly. That's what it means to cherish something or someone. You treat things differently when you cherish them, okay? Now, some of you, you cherish a piece of jewelry. Maybe you have a ring or you've got some heirloom or something like that. You cherish it. And how do you know that you cherish it? Because it just doesn't get thrown around. When you walk in, you don't just toss the thing off. No, you have a place where it goes. You protect it. You clean it. You care for it. Some of you, you, your car, you cherish your car. And how do I know you cherish your car? Because you don't park where everybody else. You're at the back end of the parking lot. It's far away from every other car possible. You get it washed every day. You're, you're, you know, it's just spotless. All that. You can't eat food in the car. Some of you do that. If there was one thing on this earth other than people that I cherished, it would be my golf clubs over here. <laughs> Some of you might not know that I love golf. I do love golf very much. Last year, I turned 40. And so when, when I turned 40, I was coming up on this. Amber said to me, so Greg, what do you want? Like, this is a big deal. We never do things for you. What would you like? Uh, and I said, man, if there was one thing I could do, it would be to get a new pair of golf clubs. I've never had, you know, like, really good golf clubs. I just I kind of had what people gave me stuff and whatever. I'm like, that would be so awesome. She's like, hey, you never buy anything? Let's do that. So I went in, and I got fitted for my own set of golf clubs. These are custom Greg Lynn's golf clubs right here, okay? Fit to my swing perfectly. I'm a short guy, we all get this. So Norma clubs are a little long for me, so these fit perfectly. I don't feel like I'm using my big brother's clubs. It's awesome, okay? These things are amazing. But when, when I got the clubs, 
Um, one of the things I like doing is occasionally when we travel, it's fun to bring golf clubs with and be able to go play in nicer places, particularly in the winter in Minnesota. It's fun to go somewhere south. So whenever I would travel with golf clubs, I ha you got to get a bag for your golf clubs. And so initially when I, you know, my old clubs, I just had a soft shell case. It was soft. It was padded. You know, it took care of the clubs. It was fine. But it, it worked. It's super light. It's convenient. It fits in the cars easier. The soft shell is just a smaller case. It's great. But when I bought the new clubs, you better believe I got the biggest, the heaviest, hard shell case you could possibly get it is so awkward and uncomfortable but you know what my clubs are taken care of why because i cherish them they're valuable to me and so i treat them differently see this is what it looks like to cherish someone now i want you to think about the relationships in your life i think the starting point would be do you cherish your relationship with christ oh, i love jesus yep do you cherish that relationship how do you behave? Do you guard and protect it at that level? Or are you just like, eh, when it works out, we'll, we'll get to church. When it works out, I'll open my Bible. When it works out, I'll spend some time with him. Or do you cherish at that level your relationship with Christ? I think about that with other relationships. Maybe it's a relationship with a parent or a friend or some of those. Those ones that you would say, they're my best friend in the world. Man, they're, they're the most important relationship I have outside of Christ. Okay, well, do you cherish it at that level? Do you protect that relationship at that level? And when it comes to marriage, do you cherish your spouse at that level? Would your spouse say that you cherish them at that level? So we go back to this whole idea of dating. And if you're programmed to leave if you don't like something, or you're programmed to find the flaws and always criticize and critique the other person, then it's really hard to cherish them. You might need to write this down. It's this. It's hard to cherish what we want to change. That's going to hit some of you. It's hard to cherish what we want to change. Okay? For some of our marriage, this might be one of the fundamental issues that you experience in your home. Because you don't really cherish your spouse anymore. You're constantly wanting to change them. You're pointing out the flaws and the dysfunctions and the, the mistakes. You're no longer caring... For who they are. And, and this is it. Cherishing requires valuing and celebrating someone as they are, not as you wish they were. Now, is there a potential for growth? Absolutely. Do I hope that I grow as a man? Absolutely. But my deepest desire is that my wife would love me as I am. Do I hope that my wife grows and continues to develop? Absolutely. But her deepest desire is that I would cherish her as she is and not place expectations around that. See, that's what it looks like to cherish someone. Now, how is loving or how is this different than just loving somebody? When I think about loving, uh, I think about uh, the chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You think about love, you, ever, you know, that gets read at like every wedding. Now, I find it humorous because that chapter actually isn't talking about marriage. It's talking about church, whatever. But um, it still speaks the fundamental truths of what love looks like. You know, love is patient, love is kind, doesn't envy, doesn't boast, all these kind of things. So when I think about love, I think about 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So if you've never read it, I encourage you to go read that chapter. When I think about cherishing, I think about the book Song of Songs. And some of you are like, I've never read that book before. It's in the middle of your Old Testament. Buckle up if you're going to start reading, Okay. It's a little saucy there at times, okay? It's real spicy. But, but when I think about it, what, what you see, you see a man and a woman cherishing one another. 
speaking words of affirmation and love, not saying, oh, I wish you were more like so-and-so. No, I value who you are. I care who you are. I speak that out. This, this care and concern, it's this radical caring, this radical cherishing of your spouse that all of us desperately desire. See, cherishing is a change in mindset. I'm not looking for the flaws in my spouse. I'm looking for the good. I'm not looking to tear down my spouse. I'm looking to build them up and inspire them. I am my spouse's biggest cheerleader and biggest fan. Can you say that about yourself today? I'm my spouse. Man, I cheer them on. I'm, I'm just shouting it out for them. Is that, is that the temperature in your relationship? You see, in most couples, there was a point when cherishing felt natural to you, didn't it? Almost every relationship has a moment like that, right? You were falling in love. You had the butterflies. You couldn't wait to see them. You thought they were amazing. I think back to when I first met Amber, okay? Now, admittedly so, we had a rather tumultuous dating relationship, and we'll get into that someday. <laughs> but, but before any of that happened, and that is the understatement of the century I just made, but before any of that happened, I remember when I first started crushing on her. We were students at North Central. <laughs> Woo! Ring by spring, everybody. Um, that was the motto at North Central. Uh, no, but anyways, I, I, I met her, and I started crushing on her. Now, she was younger than I was a couple years. Yeah, robbing the cradle over here. So she was a little younger than I was. And uh, so I was an upperclassman. I had an apartment, and she was in the dorms. And if I wanted to go to chapel every day, which we had chapel every day at 11 o'clock, my, you know, my apartment's here. All I literally had to do was walk across the parking lot and go to the chapel. But you know what I did every day? I took the longest route possible. Why? Because I just wanted to bump into her. Like, I just wanted to see her. I wanted to see her. I wanted to say hi to her. Like, I was just hoping I'd get a chance to see her. That was all I wanted. And I think all of us at some point in a, in a marriage related, there was a point. There was a point where cherishing was normal and it was natural. And you didn't have to think about it. You didn't have to try it. It's just where you were at. But things along the way can change. And sometimes it happens during dating really. Sometimes it happens when you're engaged. Sometimes it happens during the marriage experience. But there are points where we suddenly begin to get sloppy. We get forgetful. We get lazy. We get busy. We get tired, and then you add kids, and you add work stress, and you add financial burdens, and you add, add family drama, and you add health crisis, and you add world disasters. And if we aren't careful, cherishing our spouse can be replaced with a little contempt for them. Frustration, irritation, venting on one another. They just become the person that we release valve onto, right? We just let it all out on them. They're our safe space, so I can do that. That's okay. I'm supposed to do that, right? And it becomes very, very destructive to relationships. And it doesn't just happen in marriages. This can happen in other relationships. You've got other people in your life. Maybe it's parents. Maybe it's other close family. Maybe it's other close friends. Where the, Suddenly, you're just venting all the time, and the relationship has gotten a little toxic now because there isn't life there anymore. You're just sitting around and complaining with each other rather than lifting each other up and truly cherishing and valuing one another, okay? And so there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a different way to go about this. 
And so that's what we're going to look at, our, our big so what. We always say, so what, what's the point of this thing? If you forget everything else that I've shared this morning, I want you to get a hold of this principle. It's this. We cherish what we value, and we value what we cherish. We cherish what we value, and we value what we cherish. You're like, what in the world are you saying there, Greg? We cherish what we value. We get that. When you value something, you naturally cherish it. Like, nobody had to tell me, Greg, take care of your clubs. No, I know how valuable those are, so I treat them differently, right? That's normal. Every single one of us knows that. And so when you're in a relationship that's new and fresh and everything's great, it's really easy to cherish. Nobody has to tell you, cherish this person. But somewhere along the line, we get a little casual with the relationships, right? And suddenly we're like, ah, I don't, I don't care as much. They start doing things that frustrate you, and, and you don't value them at the same level that you did for a while. And you're thinking about yourself more than anything else, and you're like, I'm not cherishing that. I don't want to cherish them now. And suddenly we can get into a very toxic place in our, in our relationships where it's just two people withholding cherishing from one another rather than the other way around. There's a lack rather than an abundance in that relationship. And I would guess that there are some of you in this place, you've been living that story for a year, five years, 10 years, 25 years in this place with two people that are just bitterly unwilling to care for one another. So what does it look like? See, I love the first half. We cherish what we value. But, but here's what we have to understand is that the, the second phrase is also true, that we value what we cherish. And what I love about that is that you can do something about that. Because you don't have to sit around the way, well, I got to wait till I feel it. If I can feel it, then I'll start cherishing them. Guess what? There's plenty of times you ain't going to feel it. Welcome to marriage. You're just not going to feel it all the time. So the good news is, guess what? We value what we cherish. When you begin to operate in a position that says, I'm going to begin to cherish and behave in such a way that I cherish this thing, something happens in our heart that raises the value of the thing that we are cherishing. I see this happen with people who, who get really excited to start working out. Okay, because most of us, if I say, would you like to work out? You're like, no, I don't want to work out. I don't want to go to the gym. That sounds very unfun. I do not cherish the idea of working out. Okay, but then you'll see people, what happens? They start cherishing their body and cherishing working out in a healthy way. And so what happens? They begin doing things differently and caring for things differently. And suddenly this working out becomes something they value and they want to do. Why? Because they've been operating in such a way that this is important. This is valuable. I'm behaving in such a way and the love for this thing grows in their hearts. Some of you get that. You didn't used to like working out, but suddenly you do because you intentionally began to build that habit into your life. See, cherishing things actually raises the value of something in our heart. See, this can happen in our relationship with God. I would bet that there's some of you that said, I have a hard time reading my Bible. I don't do that. And it isn't because you were suddenly feeling inspired to read your Bible. You just say, no, I'm going to start getting in the Word every day. I'm going to start cherishing the Word of God. And I'm going to do this. Every day I'm going to get in the Word. The more you begin to cherish the word of God, I guarantee you, the more your heart will begin to migrate toward it. There's a love and a, you understand the value of it because of the cherishing that takes. See, cherishing actually has the ability to lead your heart. And this is why it matters because some of you are at a point where you're like, I don't really value my spouse that much. If you knew my spouse, <laughs> I did not. like. It's hard to muster up any desire to cherish them. Good news, you don't have to muster it up. It's a proactive step that you can take to cherish them. And as you begin to do that, it can begin to break down some things in your heart. 
you begin to look at them with a higher level of value than you have. There's intentionality behind your actions now, okay? And so how do we do this? What does this look like? I want to I be real practical here for the last few moments before we wrap up. And there's, uh, some of these things are from a book. There's a book by Gary Thomas called Cherish. It's a great book. Uh, if you want to learn more about this kind of concept, there's a bunch of ideas in there that are worth grabbing hold of and reading. Um, but he gives two things. He says there's two things that we need if we're going to be able to cherish someone well. First thing is this. We need the right mindset. The right mindset. What does that mean? He says the mindset that we need to have specifically for those who are married here is you need to have the Adam and Eve mindset. Think about it for a second. Adam didn't have any other women to compare Eve to. It was Eve and only Eve. Okay? Eve didn't have any other men to compare Adam to. It was only Adam. I'm not trying to compare it up against all the other guys or some other idea I have made. I didn't have any of that. Nope. I just love you as you are. I'm going to receive you as you are. It's a mindset, a change. Uh, Andy Stanley has a great quote where he says, there's no win in comparison. There's no win in comparison. And what can happen a lot of times in marriage is that we look at our spouse, and then we look at, you know, for me as a husband, I look at my wife, and I compare my wife to all the other women out there. Well, so-and-so does it this way, and so-and-so is this way, and they act this way, and they wouldn't have done this, or they would have done this, and, and it's very easy to compare that way. Or to compare with some view that you see in movies, or that you see on television, or some idea that you've drawn up in your head of how things should go. You should be behaving this way, and I'm constantly comparing to that, so I'm frustrated because you're not acting the way I think you should act in my head, or... You're comparing it against just some other dysfunctional view that you have in your life. Or even you're comparing to yourself like, uh, if I was a wife, I wouldn't do that. If I was the husband, I wouldn't do that. We're constantly comparing. When you compare something, you're, you're killing the thing you're comparing. It's you're, you're eroding, you're degrading that thing. And so the starting point is to have the right mindset to say, no, I choose to cherish you. In all your beauty... And all of your dysfunction, and all of the good, and all of the bad, I'm going to choose to cherish you as you are, not as I wish you were. If you develop, great. If you continue to grow, great. But I'm not, my cherishing of you is not contingent on you reaching some level out here. I choose to cherish you today. That's what it looks like. So number one, we got to have the right mindset, but the right mindset is only part of the story. We also have to have the right actions. You got to do something about it. You can't just feel a thing or think a thing. You actually have to do something about it. This cherishing thing goes beyond your feeling towards someone. It goes to your behavior towards someone. Okay, so this is the part that is, is kind of the, the fun discovery part. This is the part that takes work. And, um, and I saw somebody posted on social, I think it was yesterday, like if you're, if you're not working on your marriage, you're, you're in trouble. <laughs> You should always be working on your marriage. You should always be trying to grow and to get better. This is one of those areas. I need to be constantly trying to discover what are the actions that can make my spouse feel cherished. Because what do we naturally do? We do what we want. Like I cherish my spouse the way I wish I was getting cherished. But that doesn't actually, she's not going to receive that the same way. So the, the journey is how can I cherish her in a way that she can receive? I intentionally take steps, and it might require you to, to sit and think about it. It might require you to, to test some things. I'm going to try this out. Did this work? No, nope, that didn't work. We're going to try something else next time. It's a little bit of a process of learning what that looks like, but being intentional about it. You know, you may need to start in a position of learning to groom a thankful heart for your spouse. 
Because as I said, many of us are really good at pointing out the faults in our spouse. When is the last time you sat down and, and thought of all the things you value about your spouse, the good things about your spouse? When's the last time you said any of those things to your spouse? Not just, I love you, but you know what? I love this about you. I think they can make a huge impact. Every one of us, we all like to think, oh, I don't need words. Like for me, my, my love language is physical touch. You give me a hug, I feel like a million bucks. But guess what? I'm still a man. And when, when there's kind words spoken to me, I don't think I need it, but I do. Feels good. We're, we're, every one of us wants to hear those kind of words spoken. So what if we began to speak those types of words into each other's lives? Say, how can I be thankful? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to intentionally cherish you. Okay? Another thing that we can do is, is to learn to showcase your spouse. Okay? Uh, if you're familiar with uh, the ballet at all, I'm not a big ballet guy. Okay? Shocker. But um, with the ballet, I do know this, that the most important person in the ballet is the lead female. Like, that's what everybody's going to see, is the lead female do her thing. Like, that's why it's called the prima donna. Like, she's, she's the one. We're here to see her. But every lead female, you know what they need? A really strong man to showcase her, to throw her up, to help her do the flips, to do all this stuff, because without that, she couldn't be as great as she is. And I think that's what marriage should be. Like, how can I showcase my spouse? Because a lot of times what we're trying to do is tear our spouse down, make ourselves feel better by tearing them down. In public, we make jokes. Some of you are real good at that. I can do that. I can make the mistake where it's like, oh, it's easy to make a cheap shot. It's funny. Uh -huh. Everybody's laughing. Yeah, but in the heart of your spouse, they're probably wishing, man, it would be nice to have an encouraging word every once in a while. And so what if we look to say, how can I showcase you? How can I make you feel? How can I honor you, esteem you publicly? How can I make you, you know, whatever your gifts are, how can I fan the flame of your gifts? Like, make you even stronger. Look for what you're doing well and say, how can I help you do even better at that thing that you're already good at? How could I do that? What would that look like in our marriages? What does it look like to protect your spouse? What makes your spouse feel protected? Like, feel like you care about them. For the husbands out there, what would it look like for you to treat your wife like a queen? And for her to feel like a queen? What would that take? Wives out there. When's the last time you made your husband feel like a king? You made him feel valuable. What would that look like in your marriage? It's a challenge. But I, I don't know about you, but when I hear this vision of two people selflessly caring for one another and looking to cherish each other, I mean, you know, that sounds like a pretty good marriage. Rather than two people trying to just take nowhere there to cherish and care for one another. Like, that's a beautiful picture, and I think that's what God's desire for marriages is. That when people see us, they see something beautiful, that they see something enticing. But if we're all honest, a lot of times we live below that level. And so today is an opportunity to say, okay, God, how could I take another step in the journey that, that our relationship could be stronger than it is today? It's not to say, oh, our marriage is so awful. No, you don't got to say that. Some of you, that's how you feel, but that's not what we're saying today. We're saying, how can we take another step? just going to take another step in this journey of cherishing one another. And what I love is that this whole picture of cherishing is merely a reflection of what God has done for us. Because that's what the gospel is. God so loved the world that he sent, he protected, he provided, he cherished us in a way that we didn't deserve. And so our response 
as husbands and wife is to say, God, in response to your loving kindness toward us, God, I am going to choose to cherish my spouse. Whether I, whether I feel like it, whether I want to, no, I'm going to choose. And I'm going to trust that my heart will migrate toward those things that I care for deepest. Okay? And so we're going to wrap up this morning with a very, very practical step for everybody. So I want you to take out the piece of paper that you got when you walked in the door this morning. Hopefully you all received a piece of paper. If you didn't get a piece of paper, pull out your cell phone and open a note on your phone right now. Okay? I want everybody to do this. Whether you're married or not married, I want every single person to have a piece of paper or open a note on your phone. You can grab the pencils in front of you. Just make sure those get back into the, into the chairs afterwards so the next service can use those pencils. Okay? Here's what I want you to do. If you are married, I want you to write the name of your spouse at the top of that page. Okay? That's what you're going to do. You're going to write your spouse's name. If you are not married, I want you to write the name of another relationship that you value in your life. Maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's some other family member, whatever it is. Someone that, that you would say, yeah, I, I really, really value this person in my life, okay? So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you two minutes. And here's what I want you for the next two minutes. I want you, uh, the piano's going to play, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to ask the Holy Spirit, what would it look like? What are some actionable steps that I could take to intentionally cherish my spouse? or whoever I have written on that piece of paper. Okay, not some vague idea. No, very specifically, here's what I could do this week. I want you to start making a list, okay? And I'm gonna pray over us and allow the Holy Spirit to speak that over our hearts. God, we thank you that you care more about our marriage and our relationships than we do. So I pray in the next few moments that you would give them creativity, give them insight, may they hear your Spirit's leading on what that would look like in their relationship this week. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to give you two minutes to do that. Make a list. some of you, maybe that wasn't enough time. For some of you, you're like, oh, I'm already run out of ideas here. That's okay. Um, I would just challenge you to, if you, if you need to spend a little more time with this, do that, okay? If you want extra credit, here's the next level of this. Go to your spouse and ask them, what could I do that would make you feel cherished? And ask them. Let them begin to put some things on the list for you. 
Um, I want you to stand with me across the room because there's a challenge that I want to give you now. You got a list. How many know that list will do nothing if it just stays on that piece of paper? You actually got to do it. You actually have to try something, do something new. So here's what I want you to do is I want you to circle one thing on that list. Just one, okay? Do one thing intentionally this week to cherish your spouse or the person that you wrote down. Pick the thing. Circle one of them, okay? But I want to warn you, if you have lived in a prolonged, like, toxic relationship marriage situation, before you start trying to do nice things, you may need to go ask for some forgiveness. Because if you just start trying to do nice things and cherish the spouse, but there's a brokenness and a hurt that's still there, it might not be received yet. And so I would challenge you, you may need to get to a place, you know what, I'm, I am sorry. I'm sorry that I have not cherished you the way you deserve. And will you forgive me of that? And I'm going to try and do some things this week, and it might be awkward for me, but I'm going to try because I, I want you to know how much I care about you, and I want to intentionally take steps this week, okay? What would that look like in our homes? And my prayer is this week that our homes might get a little awkward as we try some new things here, caring for one another. But my prayer is that there would be a deepening of affection and care for one another. As we don't just talk about having a better marriage, we do something about it, okay? If you're here this morning and, and you're standing next to your spouse, would you just grab the hand of your spouse? I want to pray over. Uh, if they're not here, that's okay. You can think about them in your mind while I pray over this. But I want to pray over everybody uh, in the room, all the relationships. God, we thank you so much. Uh, that you are inviting us into something better when it comes to relationships. And so, God, I pray this week uh, you would help every single one of us in every relationship, whether it's our relationship with Christ that we need to cherish at a higher level, whether that's our relationship with others that we need to cherish at a higher level, or whether that is with our spouse. Lord, I pray that you would help us to take actionable steps this week, that we wouldn't be satisfied just listening to me talk for a while, but we would do something about it, we pray. And God, I pray that as these weeks go on, God, I pray that you would just begin to bring transformation to our homes and to the love and the joy that we have in our homes, Lord, we pray. We thank you for it in your name. Amen. And I'm going to invite our prayer team forward. If you're here this morning, you need somebody to pray over you. Maybe as a couple, you want somebody to pray over you. Uh, allow the, our teams to minister to you. Otherwise, have a great week, guys. We'll see you back next week for week two as I pull out an appliance, and it's going to be real fun.